Bro Show presents Doc Doc Goose, an examination of the world of sports science, medicine, and athlete management with Dr. Alice McNamara, Dr. Rod Siegel, and Bill Tate. Welcome back to Doc Doc Goose. Uh, if you haven't listened to the first episode of Josh Dunkley Smith, uh, go back in our podcast series and listen to the one we've just talked through, which talks through Josh's uh, career as a rower from from his early days. Well, actually, his career as a, a young athlete from from nappies all the way up to to his Olympic campaign. Uh, this one we're going to get a little bit more heavier into the um, into the sports science world, and so I'm, I'm going to get ready no! on this button because I know Rod is <laughs> is dead excited about this. <laughs> We're going to talk about the 2017 uh, campaign, which was the year off and and the year leading into uh, Josh having a couple of cracks at trying to break a couple of world records on the ergo. Welcome back, doctors. Thanks, Bill. Um, yeah, it's good to be back after our little break we just had. A cup of tea, yep. A cup of tea time. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. I bet I was, you are. Yeah, I was looking through all of my old uh, rowing data spreadsheets yeah. last night when I was meant to be relaxing and then again today during the day on my lunch break, not in work time, <laughs> boss, because I know my boss yep. is listening to this. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Reminded me of all the, the fun that we had that year. Yeah, and very important, welcome back, Josh. Thank you. Good to be back again. <laughs> So where we left off, we'd, we'd just sort of talked through the end of the Rio cycle and into having the year off, a year focused on putting a bit of time back into your relationship and, and enjoying spending time with Candy, getting back on top of uni, doing a bit of work and also importantly trying to target some different physical opportunities when you weren't doing quite as much training volume. And, and very interestingly, Candy and I were having a chat in the break because she'd listened to the last episode around her observations of the differences between the two preps leading into London and Rio. And I'm sure she won't mind me uh, raising this at this point, but you know, her observation as, as the key support mechanism for the great man here was you know, just the amount of extra cycling and all those little extra details that happen in that London cycle that might be easy to have less focus on. The extra rides early morning down to Carrum, meeting Drew in St Kilda and riding all the way down to Carrum, two rows, riding all the way back, Josh, and then having a breather and having gym in the afternoon and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, what she actually said was the extra couple of hundred k's on yeah. a bike just to just as extras so most people aren't doing that as a whole training week that was just the extras yeah 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 the incidental training was pretty significant um but i think all all of that was really enjoyable as well when that's part of it getting to training um and getting yourself ready and i think that was another one of the sort of the good mind games that cobble was able to play to sneak things in and um, to sell it as, I mean, not really to mention it, but to sell it as uh, just transport and then all of a sudden you're doing a couple extra 100Ks a week on the bike. Um, it's great marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was really good at that. It's and it wasn't, ac- I could tell you it wasn't accidental. <laughs> Today, yeah, this one we want to talk a fair bit around this ergo and, and a lot of people are fascinated by it. Um, you know, uh, about the your capability in Jörg, we touched on that earlier. A really interesting one that, that I wanted to sort of kick off with was, was the 5K early on in, in that year. And I, I call it the accidental 5K. Yeah. Um, what do you remember of that, that um, ergo test? 
Uh, I guess it started before I rocked up at the VIS. Typically, uh, I was very unprepared. Um, I showed up just about on time. Everyone was probably about 80% through their warm-up um, and I got my warm-up done before they'd finished, typically because I don't warm up very well. Uh, and so I'd gone through what little I did. Uh, I'd seen Rod, gone over to speak to him about uh, the workout, workout what I should be sitting on. And I'd sort of just ballparked a figure in my head, come up with something that based on sort of, the, I think, the work I'd been doing previously that week and sort of leading up to that felt about right. Um, and I think I said that was about 131, sitting, averaging 131. And I walked, and I can't remember whether it was you or I who said it first, but I, I think I came up and said something along the lines of, I think if I sit on about 131, that feels about right. And I think you basically echoed that straight back at me. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny because I was leading into the 5K ergos and any of the ergo tests that we do, invariably what happens is all the, all the athletes except for Josh usually, because I know Josh, my assumption is that you kind of really, you like to feel... You go by feel, you don't go by the numbers. And so almost every athlete would come to me in the lead, in the lead up the week of any ergo and say, Rod, what do you think I should be sitting on? And I'd crunch the numbers, I'd look at our lab testing, I'd look at the training data, I'd look at all those things. And, and over time, it's a, it's a test on a machine. You can predict what people are going to do with a fair amount of certainty o over time. And I'd done that with all the athletes. And then even though I didn't necessarily know I'd have the conversation with you or not, I did it for you as well. And I was like, oh, that, those numbers look too high so i recalculated them and i was like i'm getting the same thing and i re recalculated them i'm like they just look too high but i'm getting the same thing here and then that's i actually purposely asked you what you thought you could do before i told you because i didn't want to tell you something you look at me like i was nuts and then when you said that i was like that's exactly what i've got yeah so i was like <laughs> okay yeah cool yeah so uh i i really well remember that conversation because it was it was it's interesting to hear that you had so much background to it because I, I as i said i came in mm. unprepared or my relaxed style of preparation uh had that conversation and it really did um i mean naturally occur to me that was probably about where i felt i should be aiming um and then it was it was really a very short conversation it was you came up, queried me, I said that, and you were like, yep, that's exactly what I got. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, he said I can do that, so I'll just go and do that. <laughs> um, and, yeah, jumped on the erg, and uh, I think I was, re I was really good in that I really stuck to that number. Um, You're always good at that. Very consistent <laughs> on that number. So, uh, mm. yeah, uh, if he had a said a half second faster, I would have gone a half second faster. Or oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the funny thing I remember that, and I hope I'm not jumping the gun here, but with probably a kilometre to go, so we're all lined up behind the ergos watching. So, uh, you know, we've got Bill, obviously the coach, myself, and, you know, S&C stuff and so on. Everybody's standing behind all the people erging, watching. And with about a thousand metres to go, Bill comes up to me and he's like, he's going to break the world record. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? I haven't even checked the world record. I don't know what the world record was. Um, yeah, and then sure enough, like because it looked like it was going to happen, you started filming it, if I, if I remember yeah, right. I did, yeah. And um, sure enough, you broke it. And afterwards, once you'd recovered, you were sitting on the Watt bike. <laughs> I walked over to you and I was like, oops. <laughs> I, 
I told you without knowing it, hey, mate, go and break the world record. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I always said you were safely overconfident. Yeah, that's <laughs> what your prediction <laughs> Seriously. I, I think what uh, the standout memory, I, I remember that. I, rem- I remember thinking, I remember knowing that you were obviously going to do a good score, like feeling like you were going to do a good score that day. But I don't know if I would have suggested that that good at that time given the lead in because I, I don't think we'd done we'd done a good ergo prep but I don't think we'd done it any by any means a tape or anything like that it was yeah, to it me it was so it a workman's ergo yeah. yeah it was a real workman's ergo and the I say that because I just remember that it was like a the um, almost the monotony the kind of metronome like uh, rhythm it, it just was the same stroke from the first stroke to the last stroke pretty much I felt um, and it was a very impressive, it was a very impressive effort. But it does also, to me, it talks to a little bit f- um, a- around you, around you, you have a real, um, a real visceral sense of of what you're doing, rather than you know a num a number or chasing yeah. a, a competition. It's about you know what what it, how am I feeling with this stroke at the moment, which. I think is unique and I don't think a lot of people would understand that. I think a, a people who might think a, a guy who breaks world records on ergo is, no, is, what is the going to be... Yeah. what the record is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or brought shoes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. and, and again, like, like I said, every single ergo without fail, <laughs> every athlete would come up to me and say, Rod, what should I be sitting on? Except for Josh. <laughs> well, and I think for me... Um, I do have a very strong gut sense and as I said, like I didn't have that number in my mind until 10 minutes before that ergo uh, and that was sort of developed in the moment based on the work we've been doing um, and obviously for me there's a lot, of, like, a lot of that contact with Rod, with yourself in the weeks and months in previous to that um, where... You're just doing day-to-day ergs, erg training um, mm. and developing a feel for that and developing that mental arithmetic and goal setting that really naturally just that number occurred to me um, just out of the blue, seemed to feel right and then when it was echoed back at me, um, it was just meant to be. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So it talks to intuition and it talks to a bit of complex thinking in the background to keep it simple sort of thing. And, and it was a very simple, incredibly impressive performance. And what do you remember what the numbers were? Yeah, I think it was about 131. So what's that yeah. in watts? Do you Ooh, I don't know off the top of my head. I'd need to look in my spreadsheet down here. Mm, lots of watts. Which I can tap away at as you guys mm. talk if you want. You should. Yeah. Um, after that, uh, when, did it, when did it occur to you that you thought you might have a crack at the 2K? I think probably only initially when uh, Rhino was starting to organise his day. Um, I think it was suggested to me and I obviously uh, was more than happy to be a part of that and, um, and have a crack at that. I think I can't remember whether I'd said that that was something that I'd like to aim at early in that year. Yeah. I don't know if I'd specifically mention that. I remember asking you and I think it was I think it was it was either after that 
that 5K was after Anergo and I, I remember saying, because it, it was just a thing that occurred to me at the time, was would you ever have a crack at that 2K, do you think? You know, because yeah. you know, Rob Waddell had set that in 2008, I think, and um, it, had, it, it was almost like a, a thing stamped out in stone, that number, and I what, feel. And what was that number? Six, uh, sorry, 536.7, yeah. yeah. And what's that in watts? Oh, that was a hundred uh, five hundred eighty-nine or something. Five eighty-nine. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I've got this here, and yeah, you're you're right. You averaged one thirty-one point one, which is four hundred and sixty-four watts, and I've got, <laughs> I've got all the numbers here for, for fifteen minutes and ten seconds. Um, your lactate was eight point eight at the end, um, which is what mine is just sitting here now. Um, <laughs> That's and, true. And this is, and I guess this is how I came to it, right? I've, I've got all the numbers here. What I came to realize over measuring a few of these was that the guys would generally do a 5k at about 115 percent of their threshold power and so we'd measured your threshold power just a few weeks earlier in the lab and 115 percent 115.1 is what you actually ended up doing girls are usually a bit less i think it was more like 111 because it obviously takes a little bit longer so the relative intensity is a bit less um, and that's why you know i was multiplying your threshold power by 115 and I was coming to this number and I'm like, oh, this is wrong. So then I'm going back to your lab test. Have I calculated his threshold wrong? And I'm looking over that and I'm re-crunching all the numbers and I just kept on coming back to the same thing. And, you know, sure enough, you did 115.1%. So 464 watts for 15 minutes. Mm. Mm. I can do that for a, for a minute, I reckon, for sure. A minute. <laughs> can I hit that number? <laughs> One strike. <laughs> and I, I, I think... Uh, so it, I think it started to occur to people maybe, and and then I asked Rod about it. So you know, and that's I think when we we first started just having a look at the numbers and trying to see well, you know, based on Josh's physiology and what he had, what room did he have to grow to get to that mark to be able to do over five hundred ninety watts for five and a half minutes? Yeah. So this is when I started and one thing i'm interested to know is once i started crunching the numbers it became pretty apparent to me i actually reckon that he could do this and and i became in max words safely overconfident about it which is really weird to think like doing something that literally nobody's ever done before ever and i was actually quite confident that you're going to be able to do it <laughs> just based on numbers in, in spreadsheets and you're you know great testing support, Rod. that's what i love about you <laughs> <laughs> thanks mac um, so it, I guess what I'm interested in is knowing what was your sort of confidence and thought process behind it because for me it was very sort of black and white and I remember talking to yeah, Bill about pragmatically, it. Pragmatically, you, you could make an uh, argument for it. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I sort of created um, calculators around how much power can be generated for a certain VO2 because that can be somewhat predictable and especially because we had so much data on you i kind of knew what that would be yep. we knew what your vo2 max was um you know we knew what your efficiency was and we can get into that a bit as well but for me it, you know I, I was sort of going well my numbers say that if we maximize this and that and that we should be able to do it it was like yeah and you know talking to bill about it and you know bill obviously with the coaching side it's like okay well then the execution side needs to come in and so on and so forth but yeah to me it was like the, the machine can do, can, can complete this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to know, yeah. like, what your thought process around it sort of was. Definitely. Um, I think I 
would never have probably spoken that out loud until you suggested something like that. Um, for me, I think I look at in terms of my confidence on the water is it's a very, uh, it's again, it's that gut sort of sense. Um, and it's always, you kind of have episodes with different competitors um, and as much as you're learning about yourself, you're learning about them and so that you're getting that kind of relative benchmarking um, and you can feel how you equally matched you are and how things will slide um, and then you also know how much more you have to build mm. um, but you don't necessar- necessarily know where they are um, and so that can move around a lot. I think on the machine, for me, it is it is very it's it is, I am a, it is a machine. It, mm. Um, mm. There's nothing. There's no confounding factors in there that are gonna. You have it, all the information, um, and I think for my confidence, if my confidence is if if you're looking at things and measuring things, then and saying this is what you can get, then I'm quite confident in that. Um, I've always like throughout my career all my 2k tests uh, I've always just focused on a couple seconds Um, each time it's just a couple seconds a couple seconds and obviously based on your physiology and your history and um, your current fitness and everything there's going to be some curve where that ultimately tapers out where you can no longer get those those gains Um, and I think the biggest part of me on the machine is just that I don't know where that point is. Um, mm. The only way to figure out that is to go and try it. Uh, until and until you try it, you don't know. So there's so really for me, the confidence is like, well, I don't know. I can't do that. So I'm going to go and have a crack at it, and I'm not going to worry about it until afterwards. If I can or can't do it. Um, yeah, wow. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that watching you do some of them, you would just sit on the number until, you know, you either blew or you sort of you didn't. Yeah, um, yeah. I know a lot of times, and I'm not um, like really specific or OCD about anything, but definitely there are times where I've been okay. That last 500 split was uh, 130.59 or something. I'll make this next one like I'll bring it up and I'll be uh, 131.01 or something just to even it all out so it's nice and even <laughs> um, and so and that's may not necessarily be be pace um, it might be meters or like depending on whatever the workout is but definitely playing with the numbers and and making sure that the volume is set nice to 10 or intervals of five or two never seven um, <laughs> Yeah. Just sort of entertaining yourself a little bit like that. Um, I've definitely done that at times. And so I think for me, yeah, it's if you have that target, it's about how close you can get to that target, how much mm. you can track it. Um, Satisfaction yeah. of hitting the mark, yeah. basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, we've got, and we'll get into the pacing later on. But we had a really good question from, from a listener asking about how did your physiology play into your pacing? And... We'll have some answers to that, but I mean that kind of answered it mm. as well. It's like, well, may and sort of my response later is going to be around, you know, how, how maybe the physiology didn't necessarily predict how you might have paced it, uh, and uh, yeah, you just described there it was really more the mental mm. side of things that uh, that where your focus was on how you pace things. I reckon that's a really um, 
almost a way to stay in the in the moment because co- the concentration piece when you're on the ergo is the most important thing. As soon as your mind drifts off into other things, the split can come up. And it's I, I don't know whether it's common with other athletes that you do sort of maths with numbers when you're on the ergo, but I don't think you'd be the first one to suggest yeah. that you. I used to do French homework when I was swimming. (laughs) 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 I mean, (laughs) you got nothing else to think about when you're staring at that black line. But Mm. I think I definitely think it is sort of about um, taking yourself away from that a little bit um, and keeping your mind occupied. Yeah, so it doesn't. Yeah, but on the right thinking about the the negative things. It's interesting, Alice. I was going to ask you at, at this point because you know through your career as, as a lightweight and given that you were a, a little lightweight, you know, you were always, you know, in the 59s when you were training, you know, maximum 60. So you, you never really did an ergo at that 63 kilo lightweight weight that a lot of the big ergo in the lightweight space happens. But you had some you had some really significant 2K ergos in, in your time as a as a rower. Like you your 2K ergo was a real weapon at times. But I remember you would say, you know, you might only have one a year, one or two a year. Yeah, I always saw them as a huge uh, mental block and I I didn't like them. I hated the measuring stick that they were in the year, more so than racing because racing there's so many other variables. variables but with the ergo there's no nothing else. It's you and the machine. You can't sort of technique your way out of it like you can in rough water. You just have to put your physicality on the line and it always hurt um and I was always the complete opposite in physiology to Josh in that I was predominantly an anaerobic athlete I found yeah so well, that really hurt me you maybe not as different <laughs> as you thought you were but we'll get into that but just to answer your question Bill I always had to put myself massively into a hole if I was going to do a good job and it would take me a long time to crawl out of it so I wasn't actually able to do a proper performance on a 2k more than sort of like once a year I reckon Mm. I could do a a reasonable one so for example like the I could do a seven under 710 I could do a couple a year but if I was going to try I think I did a couple that were under seven minutes that were on the sliders like I couldn't actually do that on a regular basis yeah (laughs) Uh, you're <laughs> you have not to go somewhere like, else. How, how do you feel about that in terms of the really big? Oh well, I mean, I'm, I've definitely heard uh, a lot of people talking about how many times you can go to that level. Drew used to say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How how frequently? Um, and it is. It, I mean, sort of the physiological things that happen aside. I mean, it's often used for a benchmark for um, selection, and so it is very stressful. Um, and it's physically very stressful and you, you really can't hide from it. Like once you've done the ergo, it's there on the screen um, and you can't get away from it. So it really hangs over a lot of people. Um, hmm. Yeah. And I found actually probably one of the best empty the tank ones I did, there was a decision I think that was made at about 800 to go that I almost just didn't care if I died at the time. <laughs> Seriously, like um, it always hurts and you always have to put dig deep but there was, I don't know, there was a point that I just sort of blacked out and just went, I can't, you can't do that as a thinking <laughs> intelligent athlete. You can't do that too often because you oh, know the damage you're going to do. <laughs> it, is a, it is at that point a bit of a leap of faith. You yeah, know, you it kind is. Of, 
give yourself over to the effort, don't you? That, yeah. That's what it's that when I've seen people do really significant ergos. That's it's usually a bit of that. They just go, well, this is it, and step into the abyss a little bit. Yeah. And there's don't a look there's back. a really big difference mm. between ninety nine percent and a hundred percent in these sorts of things. Yeah, um, yeah, there really, is. really big. And you can, I think, when you've done uh, 15, 20 years of competition, obviously did a bit of stair climbing after I did rowing, which was equally painful. Or maybe a bit, maybe rowing tops it. But um, yeah, you know when you've gone hard and you you're in in a hole at the end versus that was a really really dangerous performance. <laughs> I couldn't have done any more than that. Yeah. So we start to get a bit of belief around. Oh, geez, you could do this. We'll talk about Matt Ryan's ergo as well. But, you know, Rod, from, from, from your point of view and reflecting with Josh, there, there was, I guess, a really targeted block of time from particularly returning from Henley and Hollenbecker where you raced with um, Boothie and, you know, raced pretty well there. One Hollenbecker, second at Henley, which was, you know, it was cool. And actually, yeah. there was an interesting thing happened in that trip that I've literally just remembered. You had to – we didn't have a great heat at Hollenbecker. We were just struggling to find – we are in a little pair. Remember, it was a small yeah, boat. Yeah. It didn't feel yeah. great in those skating conditions. Yeah. Boat. It was let, like uh, Mitch um, Steedman mm. lent it to us, mm. the um, esteemed Dutch rower. We were very grateful. But it was a bit yeah. small for you two, you yeah. big, big heavy horses. <laughs> But stroke rate, there was a big shift in that, those regattas in the pair, and I think that Hollenbecker regatta was it was like a, if it it was right up towards forty strokes a minute the whole way down the course yeah. in that race, and then at Henley as well, I think we we felt quite high. We're yeah. right up there, and then you, I think Boothie felt like he let it settle for a moment, and that's when the French. Yeah, got away yeah. from you and, and we kind of kicked ourselves afterwards because we felt like you could have probably held it and maybe Yeah, yeah definitely. I, the thing I remember is that we were quite nervous being that high because that's just not something we're used to be to doing. It was uncharted territory. And so you do start to go, oh, this this we may need to come down here because I don't know how long we can... And I think we both... Uh, that was a year for living dangerously. Yeah. <laughs> um, and had we have understood that a bit better we might have gone on with it um because i think we were definitely capable of doing that mm. but it was just in that case the mentality that we were like this is not something we've trained for um we m might need to steer away from this yeah but, but it, at henley that's um a pretty good strategy isn't it because obviously henley that for the rowers they understand that it's a match race mm. so it's mono e mono one on one and, and as soon as you get ahead, you, you get, get clear out in water. Front. Yeah. yeah. So it's almost like who can hold the rate up for the longest. Yeah. I, I remember thinking there. <laughs> so it was interesting because we, we didn't have the – we you always wanted the um, the old cleavers with the ridge through the middle. We didn't have them. They, they, didn't, they didn't deliver them. We had the skinny oars. We didn't, we didn't like that going into that. So we had little boat, little oars, little blades – Perfect for high rate. Yeah. <laughs> well, and but it was and it was probably more boothy than than you at the time. But I remember almost going, man, we could we can do. Boothy was sort of like, I think we can do. And it, that's when I started thinking, oh, I reckon, like Josh can move. Like 
you, JDS Josh, like he moved really well at that high speed that whole way. And I remember thinking, well, there's we have to try and explore that a little bit further. And I think there was that next training block which we knew that Matt Ryan had his had his ergo coming up and we had like 12 weeks or something like that to, to lock into a really targeted training block for, for having a really good go at that ergo. What's your preferred rate on the ergo um, over the two distances? Like, you know, Five over and two history. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I have a preferred rate. Again, it's that's really gut feel, um, whatever feels right. But usually I'm in pretty low. I think we've got a question mm. a bit later on yeah. about sort of high rate versus low rate. Um, so I might save it for then. But... Um, I wouldn't say that I have a preferred rate. It just sort of feels about where um, I feel more effective. Well, yeah, you did that 5K world record at 29, which is pretty yeah. low yeah. to mm. break a world record. And then yeah. Yeah, we can get into later what you did for the 2K. So Matt Ryan sets a bit of a target and, and it was a fundraiser for Sarah. Um, for or, Sorry, it was a fundraiser for Sarah's charity. And um, you know, every year at that point, Matt was doing something amazing. Yeah. And, you know, geez, he's incredible, a human being, Matt. And he, he stirred you up to have a go at this 2K. He and, and Nick Purnell, who's a freak in his own right as yeah. well, had a go at the team's 100K. And Boothy was going to have a go at the 1,000. Um, and but Carson, Carson, Carson did the 30. And Carson did the, the 30. 30. 30 minute, yeah, yeah, I think 30 minute. Yeah, Carson Forsling did the 30 minute. And he, bro- he broke an age group world record too, I think. Yeah. So that, that was the day that was looming and, and mm. unfortunately Josh Booth was sick in the lead up and couldn't do it and then Sam Locke just went, oh, I'll just come and do a <laughs> 105, 500 or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I don't think it was quite that good but it was... It was impressive. I think it's, it, yeah, it's it was always cool impressive to watch when Melbourne Uni <laughs> needed its foundations reinforced. <laughs> <after>. <laughs> Jumped the ego across the floor, I remember. Uh, it was something else. But I mean, I mean, you think about that. We'll, we'll talk about that later. So we've got that target there. Um, and and we, as I said, we'd been doing a big strength block. We'd been doing that five gym sessions a week down to four with a, a little bit more intensity stuff looped into that. We'd been to Hollenbecker. I'd stayed with Mark Emke, who was their head coach. We'd shared a lot of cheese and some wine and talked ideas. And, and he'd been doing this sort of blocked... Um, higher intensity strength block training with with the Dutch team at the same time gave us more confidence that we were sort of we were onto something that's not necessarily it's not necessarily the thing but it it is a thing if you've already got a lot of volume in and you need to find the next gains I suppose and and that probably set in my mind that training block up yeah so that I think from memory that block was almost the really beginning of the year leading into that trip away and all that sort of thing. Um, and when the decision was made that, yep, let's let's have a go at this thing. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I started crunching some of the numbers. I created an, our, um, our VIS um, sports science student, PhD student at the time, Anna Holt, who's now in my role in the rowing program. I remember her making fun of me for cre- creating this 2K ergo calculator um and i basically i just put in your your data so i'm you know i've put in your vo2 you know your vo2 max which we knew we'd, we'd sort of lots and lots of tests over the years um what, what and it was, was it? always um it was always around about seven liters which is quite a bit um which yeah it's about double mine 
uh, easily. <laughs> How many is that in V8 fuel tanks? <laughs> um, so we knew that. We, so we had a good idea of what that was. You know, so seven or just, just over seven. We'd seen that quite a bit. Um, and we knew what your efficiency was as well. And so what, what the efficiency means is, is it's essentially measuring how much power you can, uh, you can generate for the cost of that. Um, and so how much VO2 versus how much power you get out of it. And obviously the more power for the, for the same VO2 is, is greater efficiency. And, and we'd measured, again, your efficiency over lots of times and we'd kind of seen that that was fairly stable and, and it was pretty good. So in rowing, we usually see anywhere from 16%, which humans are inherently really inefficient <laughs> machines. Um, so really young developing rowers, you know, probably school age or maybe just out of school would be maybe around that 16, 17%. And our top, top, the best that we've ever seen is around is maybe just over 20%. So I think like a, like a Drew, for example, was always a little bit over 20. Looking back at his data, like a Sarah, for example, as well. And we did have some others here and there, like an Alice Arch, for example, was super duper efficient and, and a Rhea Thompson and that sort of thing. They're all around that mark. Um, and yours was really high 19s, basically pretty consistently. So... We kind of knew, like I looked at that and I thought, well, you're probably not going to improve your VO2 max. You've done a career's worth, uh, you know, which turned out to be a career's worth because you, you yeah. did retire fairly shortly after that. A career's worth of volume-based training um, that really are the things that are going to improve those things. You know, your ability to deliver oxygen to your muscles and, and do so efficiently. Um, and a really big part of that efficiency is also technique. So I guess a good example would be... Um, you know, when you look at a marathon runner running, it doesn't look like they're running 20 kilometers an hour. Like, you know, if any of us were running mm. 20 kilometers an hour, it'd look like we were really trying to run fast. Um, you know, the head's bobbing everywhere and it, it's really inefficient. It, a lot of wasted energy. Um, but uh, yeah, there's so very little wasted energy. Um, and a funny story actually is um, after Super Saturday, obviously it was on a Saturday, the next day I, I had lunch over at my parents' place and you'd done obviously, I think it was the third fastest time ever so i was pretty excited about it um and my dad's like oh how's how's work going how are the kayakers um <laughs> and, going backwards yeah and so <laughs> side note lived in new zealand for three years working with kayakers and every time i caught up with my dad he'd say how are the rowers I'm like dad i don't work with rowers moved to australia back to australia started working with rowers and he'd start asking me how the kayakers were not as a joke um <laughs> and so i was like oh something really cool happened yesterday and the, the video was on Facebook. And so my mum's really into sport. So I, sh I pressed play on the video and the sound was turned right down and off you went and you're going, you're going, you're going. And my mum goes, about a minute in, mum goes, let me know when he starts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, he started, <laughs> he's going. And it, just because it looked so effortless, right? Um, and so, yeah, we, we had the efficiency data and we had all that data, so we knew what was there from that point of view. So if I put that data in, it, then all I need to estimate is really the anaerobic component because we didn't really have a measure of that. Mm. Um, and so essentially, we went ahead and we tried to measure it. Um, and so what we did was we, we got you to a six-minute time trial, so we set it to, a, to the minute because it's easier to get the calculations. Um, and we, you did that with VO2, which you, I don't think you'd really done one before with a, a, a 2K with, a, with the mask on. No, no, I don't yeah. think so. And so you did that and 
then we can estimate, there's a bit of error in, in the calculation, but we can calculate how much of the power comes aerobically and how much comes anaerobically. And we'd done Boothy, he, he'd gone before you, and he was 80% aerobic, 20% anaerobic. Uh, so by the time they'd sucked all the slobber out of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you a new mask, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, I mean, that's 20% of a six-minute test came anaerobically. And that's that's a lot. So that's on the more anaerobic side. Um, and then we also had a Jen Cleary do the test. And hers was, I think, 91%. So mm. basically aerobic. double the difference. Yeah, 91% aerobic. So basically double the distance. Um, and we'd also done Jess Morrison, who... So Jess is, you know, doing really, really well, mm. uh, you know, internationally yep. at the Silver moment. Yeah, winning. Pair, yeah. The, the qualification together. Yeah, and, and she was one of our strongest physiological athletes and I guess known within our group of having a really strong anaerobic capacity and she was 83% so a little bit little bit more aerobics or you know less anaerobic than than Boothy and then you were going to test and I was like it's probably going to be about the same as Jen's yeah you know because everybody had said JDS is the he's the diesel Diesel. engine he's the aerobic engine no top end at the end of a piece eight you said at the end of the 5k so I yeah, think yeah. anaerobic. He yeah, doesn't actually ever look like he's got a lot of lactic on the on the score yeah. sheet at the end of. The yeah, session. yeah. <laughs> and miracle to see. We always two. presented. Yeah. 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 Well, and you know, and again, and that was sort of part of it as well. So, you know, the old textbooks will tell you you hit threshold at around about four millimole. Um, JDS had hit threshold about two and a half millimole. Um, uh, yeah, at the end of really hard tests, you'd be. And I've got. I was looking through the data. We do really hard really hard ergo sessions. I think you were doing eight times a thousand meters at, you know, close to 500 watts yeah. sort of thing. And your lactate at the end would be six. <laughs> so yeah. because of that, you had the reputation of hard, yeah. the, the diesel engine. He doesn't really have the top end and all that sort of thing. Um, and I guess another side note, we was doing some anaerobic, just raw power ergs, just to see what sort of numbers you could hit. And you were hitting well over a thousand watts, about the same, if not more sometimes than Boothy who was known yeah. as the anaerobic guy. We were doing those 100-metre ergos before gym, weren't we? Yes, exactly. We were doing that. shorter than that. There were like two or three strokes max and we built out. That was really interesting because I yeah. definitely remember at the start of that, I really had a lot of doubt about what you was going did, on. Yes. And yeah. Because it was just so counter to everything that had been ingrained into me and trained into me about what you do on the machine or in terms of rowing in general. Um, but I... I was definitely a convert by the end of it. Yeah. Well, that, that was, it was actually an interesting be a process, though, because it, it was. I, I remember we talked, and, and you were like, Yeah, oh, he's good. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if we're going to get him over the line mentally with, like, if he's going <laughs> to hook into it. But you did. You gave it a go. Yeah. Um, because it was the season of, you know, whatever yeah. happens, happens sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah, it was interesting because. We started seeing those numbers and people were like, oh, my God. Yeah. I've never seen the ergo show that high numbers. Oh, does it go to three, fi- yeah. to four figures? Four figures. Um, but uh, that's interesting because that was a question I wanted to ask you. It was what we did in that six, eight months, whatever it was, was so different to normal training. Some of it had to be because mm. you literally couldn't put the hours in. I think you guys were really only doing... No, I remember it was about hours. 17 hours a week yeah. in a big week. Yeah, like, so you weren't doing heaps of volume. Like Bill said before, you were only doing what, like three or four rows a week yep. and yep. the was, rest was, was kind of It was about half the volume in, in, in some senses of an Olympic campaign. Yeah, you know, exactly, and, yeah. And well, yeah, I mean, you said 
earlier you were doing in the last episode 42 hours or something and mm-hmm. I mean we were a third of that yeah basically yeah. um so yeah i guess i always wondered like to me again you know thinking in a scientific sort of way i'm looking at it going well yeah this is what we would do and it made perfect sense to me and i yeah i guess i wondered and you kind of said it like you were maybe a little bit skeptical because it was so different to what you'd done before yeah yeah definitely i mean those first real short real high power ergs and i it goes back to that sort of gut feel that i have i really didn't know what my what the goal was what i was trying to get out of them um and i guess it's credit to probably you for being able to suggest it to me gently enough and sort of encourage me and take on board my reaction to it but keep persist with it and explain it to me and walk me through it a bit more um but i mean it was just like worried that the ergo was about to come apart worried that i was (laughs) about so we were too actually (laughs) yeah um and it was just like short and it was brutal yeah very very aggressive very brutal um and as i said completely counter to everything that you ever taught in the boat like it's always um super gentle on the boat super light touch um you never want to put load onto anyone else in the boat and so doing that was really just rubbing me the wrong way Mm. yeah and i remember really clearly sitting down in our little rowing office and almost sort of asking you you know are you willing to do this like I'm a really big believer that variation stimulates adaptation and um, yeah. you know, a really good quote um, from a physiologist that, uh, you know, a guy named Nathan Townsend who, you know, myself and Nico and another um, physiologist at VIS are lucky he, to be doing it, like trying to get a bit of a project off the ground with it at the moment. I actually just chat with him. 2007 and 8. Yeah, he would have been. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, great guy. I actually, mm. I ha- we had a chat earlier t- today and one thing that he said is... Um, the best training program is the one you haven't done yet. And I, I yeah. reckon that's great. Like that for me really sits really well with me. But uh, I mean, you said sort of just now when you said uh, earlier in the other episode that a lot of the programs and a lot of the weeks and a lot of the you know eight years worth of preparation kind of looked exactly the same. And so it was almost like asking permission. It's like could, this year, could we try something different? You know, you've done something in a really similar way for your whole career, why don't we just try something different and see what happens? Mm. And, you know, it's trying to get the buy-in around that. And, you know, you maybe reluctantly kind of go, yeah, yeah, okay, <laughs> I guess we could try that. Yeah, sure. If you think yeah. about it from a sports science point of view, Rod, you would have quite a lot of theories about why it's actually the most intelligent thing to do at that point in someone's career. If you've, you know, grown all those extra capillaries to all your muscles, you've done so much aerobic long volume training over a number of years and then you think well how am i going to make the muscle more efficient so mm. activate some serious mitochondria by adding some intensity yeah well and i guess to go back to what we were talking about before with some of the things we'd measured a lot of those things once you were fit again so you know if you'd had a break and you weren't as fit and we'd see a drop off but you, you get back into training for a couple of months and they pop back up your vo2 max was back up your power numbers you know your threshold you know aerobic threshold anaerobic threshold your max aerobic power your efficiency they all just pop back up to where we knew that they could be and it sort of looked like we're probably not going to get heaps more gains here um you know maybe we'll get some but probably not bridge the gap all the way Mm. to be able to break the world record and so it really was at that stage it's like well what can we eke out of the anaerobic system and i guess to then step back we measured it in that test 
and again, I was thinking, oh, you know, based on everything we knew mm. and everything we'd heard and, you know, told it was like probably going to be around that. Yeah, everything we assumed. It was going to be, I thought you'd be pretty close to where Jen was in the maybe high 90s, uh, sorry, low 90s or really high 80s. And you came back 83%. It was the exact same as Jess, who was, you know, the really anaerobic, mm. you know, female yeah. that we had in the team. And it was like, oh, geez. And, you know, again, there's a bit of error in that test and it's, you know, it's not a perfect test, but, you know, we did it again later on down the track to see the progression and it was 83% again. Yeah. Um, so kind of it, it told us, it's like, oh, Jesus, it's a much bigger anaerobic yeah. capacity here than what we thought. And then, again, you're doing some of those anaerobic ergos and, I, and I'll never forget you did, um, I can't remember the exact session, but you put out some huge numbers in, in an anaerobic type you know, that might have been 30 second repeat, you know, 200 meter repeats or something. And, um, you know, in our little communication group that we, we have sending, because Bill wasn't there at the time and sending it in. And, and with the comment was diesel engine, hey, <laughs> um, you know, no top end, hey. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember my, and I don't know if you remember this, but it, it, I remember this really clearly. It seemed like you took a lot of confidence out of that because it was almost like your whole rowing career, you'd been told you were this. And maybe in your mind you thought, maybe I'm not just that. Maybe I do have something here that nobody's recognising. And finally somebody had shown it to approved yeah, to, yeah. to yourself that, like, yeah, I remember that so clearly. You took, you seemed to take so much confidence out of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I'd, you hear that and whether or not it's or said directly to you um, about what type of athlete you are or how you work um and it's a bit of i guess you get a chip on your shoulder when people tell you oh you can only do this or you can only do that um and if you're sitting there and you're like well i've only been exposed to one sort of situation and only had to do one sort of job um then you do go maybe at the back of your mind we're like well i can fill other roles i can do Mm -hmm. other things um but you just haven't need like asked me to or needed me to um so I definitely, throughout my career, I mean, in terms of on the water stuff, and ergo has always been a second, like, a tool for on the water. Yeah. Um, and so on the water, I was always, I was really good at the middle, just grinding through and definitely thought that I was a diesel. Um, and that re- I definitely did through that. As I said, like, initially doing those short, sharp power ergs was really against it, but it did give me a lot of uh, belief in that other aspect of what I could do um, and set up what I was able to ultimately achieve. And if you took, if you didn't know anything about you and as just as a physiologist, somebody asked me the questions like, I want somebody to be able to be the best in the world at something it takes around about five and a half minutes. Naturally, I would think, well, they have to be amazing aerobically, but they also have to be amazing anaerobically mm. because it's it's long enough that you have to be really good aerobically but it's also short enough that you can't be poor for lack of a better word anaerobically so there was really no way that you could have achieved the things that you had on the ergo like you know the best in in, in australia for, yeah, already. forever already yeah. if you were average or poor yeah yeah you know, well, yeah poor because that's what people were saying that you were poor anaerobically so logically it made no sense mm. Um, but we, I guess we hadn't thought about it logically. <laughs> no. I, I remember because, yeah, as you rightly recall, I wasn't at that session when you had that uh, 
that bit of a watershed realization and I, I remember you know the discussion that we had was you know it, he's it's not that he's not amazingly gifted aerobically there's just this there's an anaerobic engine there we we can also utilize better essentially yeah and, and i guess it it then with all of that analysis it started to become pretty clear in my mind what we needed to do in order to break the world record so and it, it, one of the physiologists tom tom v one of our swimming physiologists yep. put it really nicely last week in one of our meetings he said what are the things that need to change to get the performance? And then you go about designing a program that are going to change those things. It's so simple, mm. but often it's not actually done in that way. No. Um, you know, there's a history yeah, and a tradition to how you go about training. Program. This is how we're going to train. We're so, scared to drop out that because we will lose what is keeping our athletes at a certain aerobic ability. People are scared to drop things out quite Exactly, often. yeah. So that was maybe maybe the first time um, that I actually, you know, as a scientist working in a program, got to actually do that. And that's why I was so excited about this project because it was like I can measure, I can figure out the things that need to change and then we can develop things to try and change those it, yeah. things really specifically. Um, and so it started to become really clear um, and we were sort of discussing this a bit before. It's like, okay, well, oxygen delivery and then doing that efficiency, that's not what was going to limit the performance. Um, and so, and again, I remember having this conversation with you. It was like, okay, we need the anaerobic power on the top that we're going to, you know, spread the, the butter on the toast uh, along the top that's going to give you that little bit extra. We need to maximise that because if you're going to do something that nobody's, literally nobody has ever done ever, we're going to have to maximise that. Um, and then the other type of training is, you know, a lot of the aerobic endurance training is about delivering more oxygen to the muscle, doing it efficiency, all, efficiently, all those things. But we, we weren't going to get more gains there. So we needed to maximise the ability to not leak, not essentially you know, stop the bleeding mm. in the last 500 metres. So it was all about mm. fatigue mitigation. So the training, not, rather than being about oxygen delivery, it was much more focused on f fatigue mitigation. And they're really different things in terms of what mm. sort of training that you need to do. And that's how I designed all, all of that ergo training about and I remember again we sort of had that discussion about it and you were like yeah that sounds good <laughs> not not fatiguing sounds great let's do that <laughs> yeah yeah and there was a lot of that in, in that block wasn't there Josh in terms of there was a lot of those uh, I guess uh, different uh, people would call them hit sessions but though there was a lot of those 40 seconds on 20 seconds off 50 tens and 30 thirties and trying to get you really comfortable and, and get you good at managing the fatigue and clearing and efficient at doing that. And it, I guess it was different, but I guess you don't get to get the benefit of that if you haven't done those years of volume mm. to me. Yeah. Do you yeah. agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I think um, if you threw something like that to a young athlete, um, you'd get a lot of fire and fury, but... Yeah, I don't know if you'd move anything really significantly. Um, I think for me, uh, having done something one way for so long, mm. uh, I knew where, and as Rod's sort of saying, I knew where I was with that. Um, but had always had that sneaking suspicion that 
and believe in a belief that I could do things differently. Yeah. Um, and so it was really refreshing to, I think, have, have be an experiment. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Like I've got. Um, I'm shocked that you haven't pressed the nerd button yet, Bill. Um, <laughs> I've been so tempted. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got my spread, all spreadsheets out. And we're you know, looking at sessions here where essentially you did 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off. I think we did it by distance. So it might have been you know, 150 yeah, yeah. metres or whatever. And um, you, know, you lactate at the end of the first one, 6.3. End of the second one, 8.8. End of the third I've set, 11.2. I've always very guilty when... Like I'm doing an ergo, particularly <laughs> next to Boothy, who falls off afterwards. Again, slobbering. And someone else has to take his shoes off for <laughs> yeah. him. And the amount of times I've taken <laughs> his shoes off. <laughs> and he's almost spitting out pure lactate and crying it out. And just <laughs> and I get off and walk around and say, you right, buddy? Yeah. Well, he used to... I've got photos on my phone where the machine that we used to measure with only would record up to about 22 millimole. And... <laughs> More than one occasion, it would just come up with Boothy high, <laughs> H-I, is what it would say, because it, it didn't actually record higher than now. that. Um, but, and again, like we were playing around with things and I remember we did a session that was, I'm trying to find it here, it was 200 metres off, uh, sorry, 200 metres on, which was about 40 seconds and 20 seconds off. And your lactate at the end of the first set was 11.1 and you were doing it at... Oh. Hmm. You average five hundred. Wow. <laughs> you average five hundred and eighty watts for the session, so it was going to be just below that two k pace. Hmm. And I was like, "Oh, we're onto something here." And in my mind, it was like we've sp- we've done we've tapped into something. So you've tapped into really it in different. Block. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was after you done a, a few hit blocks. Yeah, we'd done a few different sessions, and we'd played around. You know, we'd done thirty on thirty off, and we'd done like a thousand meter Do pieces. Do you remember we'd how many weeks you'd done of it? Uh, we, I think we did a total of about six weeks. Gee, it's funny because we saw um, a lot of the roles will know Cam Mackenzie McCarg had a go over a six-week ergo program recently and did a lot of this hit ergo work. He did three mm. sessions a week during the weekdays and then one session on the weekend, which was more 2K targeted. But he hadn't done a lot of ergo-specific training for a number of years. But like Josh had years and years of aerobic history, Mm. it didn't take long to tap in to be able to go sub six minutes on the ergo again. Six weeks of a HIIT program. Yeah. And we we really built up to – at the beginning of the year, we were doing a bit more of the traditional type of sessions, 10-minute pieces and eight-minute pieces and so on. And then we moved more towards – and I think it was maybe once you got back from Hollenbecker – we moved into the more the like six lots of five minutes on, five minutes off. So it was a, a lot of work, still 30 minutes worth of work, but a lot more rest in between pieces. So you could – it wasn't really threshold training. It was much more like 110 to 115% of your threshold, mm. but still getting a good amount of work done. So lots of five on, five off. We were doing, you know, like seven by four on, four off, eight by three on, three off, or, you know, by a distance, you know, we would pick, yeah. you know, 1,500 metres or 1,000 metres or whatever. Um and then we moved into the shorter ones okay. of, yeah. of the – yeah. And then, yeah, it was when we did that 200 metres on 20 seconds off and we got 11 millimole on the first mm. um, set of eight, I think we did. It was like, oh, I've never seen this before. From this him, is yeah. a different stimulus. Um, and, I, and I remember discussing with you afterwards and, you know, for the second – Second one, it was 13.3 and then 13.8. And I think I remember you saying, I don't think I've ever seen it at 13.8 yeah. before. Um, and I was like, this is great. Mm. You know, we're giving your body something that it's never seen before. You want a, 
it has to change. It we has have to you know, get better. Yeah, yeah, it has to get better now. Um, and so that was the – and again, those type of sessions physiologically are designed to not deliver power but f- you know, mitigate against fatigue. Hemorrhage the belief. Yeah, exactly. Do you reckon, Josh, you felt, you felt different than your other hard sessions in the past? Yeah, yeah, I think I do. Um, I mean, hard sessions on the water, uh, there's a lot of reasons for why they're hard. Yeah. Um, you're working hard. Uh, you're definitely aerobically fatigued. Um, but then there's all sorts of like technical stress. Um, you're dealing with a coach in your ear, other crew members, um, things getting fractures there. So I think... Having that short, sharp hit, um, and again, that goes back. To, I think that's the gut feel. Is I've always had a sense of that um, lactate or lack thereof, um, and whereabouts that sits, and being able to regulate based on that. Um, and I guess steering always away from letting it build up too much, just through playing mm. it safe. Mm. Um, but you managed to back up, like if you did three pieces that were 11, 13 and 13, like he was obviously able to not just, you know, be paralysed by the lactate, which you would think if you'd never seen that before often. But I think, you know, that, I think that talks to the, that training block of, of being able to build the capacity to deal yeah. with it, which I think, I think was an important part of adding that next layer to his preparation in my sense you know he'd spent 10 years doing Mm. all the important things so that he could do this last bit to maybe get that last sort of step i I always like i i think i remember early on like working with drew and cobb having an idea of sort of developing lactate and then reabsorbing it and using it again yeah um so there was there was that idea early on um and Kind of, and that I mean, that's probably the sports scientist way to say it. And then there's like the kind of rowing coach way of saying it, which is almost like just using that kind of pain um, and just being in the moment and and um, being comfortable in that discomfort. Uh, and especially with racing, knowing that people n- next to you in other boats are experiencing that as well, and you're just learning to be really comfortable to sit in it and enjoy it and um, and not shy away from it. So mm. that, I think, had been there from very early on. Um, but definitely, I think, almost steering towards that was not something that had ever been I'd ever thought of or had ever been tried. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of evidence now showing that that sort of training can actually enhance your pain tolerance. So doing some really solid high-intensity interval training actually allows you at, at a mental level to deal with more pain. And, you know, 2K ergos, it just gets harder and harder yeah. and harder as it goes along and, until you're literally holding on and, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, in not, dire straits. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, potentially that was an aspect of it as well, really going through a solid probably a 12-week block of when I, when you started those the five-minute pieces until when you got to the really short ones that, yeah, you made all the physiological gains, but you probably – and it seemed like you made some really good confidence gains um, and, yeah, and potentially you made some subconscious um, sort of cognitive gains as well. And, you know, certainly I, I remember 
finishing those sessions with you, you know, always being there next to you, taking your lactates and all that sort of thing, coming back into our office, chatting with Anna, who's a Kiwi, by the way, and <laughs> saying how, um, how sort of attached to Rob Waddell's word record are you? <laughs> and giving her a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm like, this is... Yeah, there used to be a lot of Don't get too attached that. to that. It's because it's going to fall. <laughs> um, no, and and uh, like I've got, you know, if, if we're jumping the gun, let me know. But in this spreadsheet I've got to open now, I've got your VO2 max put in there. I've got your efficiency put in there. I've estimated your anaerobic capacity and it gives you a score of 5 minutes, 35.3 seconds. And again, looking at that, checking it, rechecking it, have I calculated right and so on. And I had enough information on you and others over the years that we could predict these things pretty well. Yeah. Um, and that's, I just, that's why you know, I had so much confidence in mm. it. I'm like, well, the numbers are all adding up yeah. for me. And then we were seeing it in training. Mm. And I think if we if we go to Super Saturday, so you know, and it was an amazing day, but the reality was, I think in the training program, it was a, it was six weeks earlier than where we thought you'd done enough to have a proper go. But we thought you you're gonna have a go, and we use turn the emotion up. of the day in the crowd, and yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know, it's online. People can look at it. We might try and find a link to it. It was re- it really was an amazing. It was an emotional day for obviously all of us that knew Sarah and loved Sarah and had been teammates of hers and and everyone. But just to see, yeah, yourself, Josh, Matt, and Nick, Cast, and Sam there, and Boothy right there as well, right in the mix yeah, of it. Yeah. It was an incredible bunch of humans trying to do something and. And many of whom achieved something pretty amazing on that day. Go, going into it, you know, you you, you got it, it was a bit of almost a rock star moment from a from a rowing point. Of view. It was it was it, yeah. it, it had that, but it was it was a lovely feel, wasn't it, to that day? But it, yeah, it you was. must have got some energy from that group. Yeah, I've I've gotten a lot of questions. Um, I mean, the biggest thing is just that it's so different to what I mean. Even just the two attempts, those two attempts. Uh, were so polar opposite. I mean, obviously the Super Saturday was a relatively small room packed with lots of people and lots of noise. And then when I ultimately did it at a national camp, um, like Ergo Comp, um, a coach there, face-to-face with Yeah, there were about else. three coaches with um, clipboards, <laughs> clipboards uh, and a few coxswains who'd asked to watch um, and you did your solo didn't you i did mine solo so they'd set up two ergos facing each other um and i was the last because that was obviously when i was sort of thinking about whether i was going to go on or um through the process and then into the obviously olympic campaign um and so i was the last there they paired everyone else up sort of like speed for like speed um and i was the last one on there on solo just sort of staring at because <laughs> there was no like speed <laughs> <laughs> We do we do those ergos in the, in the little catering room there at Nepean Shores, and it's real, just like terrible yeah, ancient carpets, yeah. and it's bleak. It's fairly dingy. Yeah, it's, it's fairly bleak, and um, there's a real image there. Uh, but the two attempts were so different um, that it was, I mean, that to pre- anything compared to anything I previously previously experienced. Um, it was, it was, as you said, a really fantastic day, really enjoyable to be a part of, um, but just crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you, you first... At the 1,000-metre mark, you were right there. <laughs> and 
remember we we looked at the numbers and the rate dropped a little bit in that in the sort of the fourth 250 and then the fifth 250 and then and then the last 500 meters it just certainly didn't blow out but it was just that rate crept down and and I think we we you know very basically plotted it over the hundred meters of each hundred meters and we just sort of like the rate and the and the power were just one to one they were linked yeah so at that point there was a bit of can it can the rate just help you manage that a little bit can you start and, and as rod said you start on your number and start with a bit of efficiency but just let let the rate come up a little bit to see if you could hold onto that and it, i think about five or six weeks later we had another go just in training and you you overcooked it and i think we'd just been doing the we'd been doing some really high right in that midst of that really high intensity stuff and you went out like a bull at a gate mm. i remember the <laughs> first hundred meters was outrageous i, I was sitting i was standing behind you and just going slow down <laughs> so i think there's you can see him on the video going slow down and uh, look you may have gone over 540, but I'm pretty sure it was still in the high 530. It was still a very good ergo, ergo score. But yeah, it was like 543. I've actually, I've got it here, but yeah. yeah. It was by anyone's measure in an off season, it was an incredibly good ergo. But I think you'd 542.1. There you go. Lactate was 15.3 at oh. the end. <laughs> yeah. For you. For you, that, and then the, yeah, that was a well, new PB. I don't know, you probably didn't measure it after Super Saturday, but like. No, we didn't. That was the first time I've ever had tunnel vision, yeah. almost complete paralysis. Um, that was the first uh, time I'd ever seen like, you like that. Yeah. Where my tongue yeah, basically didn't. fills my entire mouth. Um, that in was a bad way for a long it time. It took you yeah. some time <laughs> that to recover me afterwards. About, that really knocked me about. Now I know what everyone else feels. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, well, and I guess maybe where you're sort of going with this is after the one in Super Saturday, we sort of realised, and again, it probably comes to my mum picked this up. It's like, when is it going to start? Is that you kind of just went straight into mm-hmm. 33 strokes a minute, or, you know, 35 mm-hmm. strokes a minute, whatever it was. You didn't, the typical way to do an ergo or a race is to go, you know, seven or eight strokes really hard to get going and then ease into it and you yeah. you hadn't done that we'd always get told you know that you get the first five strokes for free or whatever you know and this it's not like that's completely it's true exactly but it's not, right but it's not it's exactly not, wrong not either. True, yeah yeah and so we weren't of using d- that at all no so and that was i mean that was probably uh the broader day as a whole um that was me probably trying to not focus on the crowd too much to sort of be at one with that just yeah let it be mm-hmm. um and then a few other things sliding um so i i actually in terms of like i really enjoyed having people there like i it was a new experience it was really interesting it was a interesting challenge um but obviously when you're just trying to work a few of those things out something else might slip on you mm-hmm. um and so i think that's probably where my mindset just let that... I, I was just like, all right, we'll just get going. We'll put on a show here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we, we tried to... We identified that and thought, there's probably... You know, you're trying to find however many watts it was between what you did on that day to then what you needed to do to break the record. And we're like, there actually might be three or four watts here. Yeah. Of those watts. Of just just, just getting them for almost for nothing. In the start. Yeah. In ah. the first seven strokes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we, we played with it. Again, I've got the data here. You did three 750s 
And the first one was done from a standing start and then the next two were done rolling. And the idea was do the first seven strokes hard and then just go straight into sort of the easy effort. And, you know, obviously the power goes up quite high and it took ages for it to settle back mm. down, which is probably more something about the machine and how oh, the machine works exactly and the flywheel. works. Yeah. So because if you get initial high powers, it averages your score for a while. Exactly. So you do get a few extra free watts. Yeah, and so the end that. of that 700 and 50 metres, your average watts was 600, even though you were trying to sit on about 590. To and so we head. were like, geez, you've got 10 yeah. free watts here, so to speak, and then the next two you did 591, 592. And so we were like, well, if you do exactly that, you're going to get – it was something like you're going to get a quarter of the watts or half of the watts, a pretty decent amount of the – I think it was about a quarter of the watts just from those stro- seven strokes, which was yeah probably more about how the machine works mechanically mm-hmm. than, than anything else. Um, and so that was kind of the thought process. But then on the day – On this, on that second day in, in Melbourne where you did the – 542 yeah it was it was like 12 strokes worth of really high intensity it just settled a little late and it yeah well i reckon it was even more more than that like we we measured stroke by stroke data through the through the the other um and i remember you were for the first 60 seconds you 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 average 50 watts more than what we would have wanted to which is heaps It's like ten percent, you know, yeah. almost ten percent. So, and then obviously you paid for it in the second half, <laughs> and your lactate was fifteen point three. <laughs> yeah. But the stroke rate was higher overall. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember after that thinking, right, that's you just were just under in Super Saturday. You'd just gone over in the middle. There's a there's a bit of a sweet spot. <laughs> and then you had to Go bugger off to jo- rejoin the national team. Yeah, um, and you're, you're up to up to Canberra into the NTC. And, and that, you know, we'd had that agreement with um, Bernard Savage and with Ian Wright uh, around the preparation for you you two. Like mm. the, the the agreement was, yep, well, you can stay home this year with our blessing, do the international regattas in the pair, have a crack at the ergo and, and then rejoin in October, something like that. No, yeah, maybe November yeah. for you. Um, and and it was so obviously straight into that um, environment. And I think people are interested to know in the lead up to that, to you actually breaking the ergo, that training in the training centre there um, for that sort of couple of months. What was that like? Mm. What what sort of training was it that you well, who were? Asked, who asked that question, Mac? We should uh, shout out. I think you had it written down there. That was James Cobb. James Cobb. There you go, James. Good on you, James. Yeah. So I think. Um, if I compare uh, sort of pre-Rio, uh, that 2017 period and then the training centre, um, I think pre-Rio was very typical. So uh, that was, it's, I mean, a typical week sort of in that training block looks like um, sort of five weekdays, your first row, um, a second row. First row is probably 20 to 25 Ks. Second row is 15 to 20, more typically 20. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday is weights. Um, Thursday, uh, Tuesday, Thursdays are like an erg or a ride or um, potentially a tech row or something like that. 
Saturdays are probably a longer row, um, maybe a second row and then a ride or maybe just the two rows and then Sundays depending on if you're taking days off or um, still training. I mean, if or if you're training with Drew, that's basically riding all Saturday, uh, all Sunday, sorry. Um, but we were probably doing uh, maybe a moderate length ride or a shorter length ride um, mm. on Sundays. Obviously, we've spoken a little bit about the 2017 period and sort of the reduction in volume and the increase in weights, um, weight training. I think going into the centre in 2018, obviously Ian Wright um, is very good coach and um, I think he does some pretty unique things. Like some of the sessions we were doing were quite unique. He has a lot of probably... <laughs> which he wouldn't like me divulging. It's all IP, um, I think. Um, but it was fairly... It was high volume, very high volume. Um, lots of stuff on the water. Um, like the ergs probably weren't as intense as previous years, previous coaches. Um, There's the a lot of like really true kind of T2 erg, isn't there? It's like... Yeah, yeah. Really restricted. Steady true steady ergo yeah yeah um which i mean i think probably to that point like all the ergos had been overdone t3 more yeah. than anything um just through natural com you set t3 numbers but natural competitiveness pushes you up or mm. um the group dynamic pushes you over um and so why your physiologist is yelling at everybody to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's too high. <laughs> Mac, you were the worst for that. <laughs> <laughs> Have a high heart rate. <laughs> <laughs> you know that it's individualized. You don't get that <laughs> excuse. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, there was a lot of work on the water. Um, long sessions on the water, long like proper T3 on the water. Um, that was we did do like a uh, lot of repeat sort of thousands 1500s on the course um i think it was there might have been 15 or 20 of them um <laughs> which that definitely <laughs> knocks you about um so it was it was pretty high volume um but roughly typical sort of rowing mm. training um i think that I mean, the biggest thing for me was just it was obviously that the ergo at the end of it showed that I think the changes I'd made the year before in 2017 had held and stuck through that. Mm. Um, it, it would have been probably really interesting to see over the course of a quadrennium how deep they got, how, how long they persisted. Because, yeah. um, I mean, the, the thing I think I knew from the first two cycles is that like you basically just try to stack on weight early and you then and it might just be training with Drew um, yeah. that you shred it all it's off. Shredded, yeah. Um, and that was a big part of the discussion. I remember really was, clearly yeah. having that discussion with Johnny T in that little rowing pod around, you know, when you move over there, you're going to do big, big volumes. You're going to shred. Let's see if in this year, in the 2017 year, we can get you guys, you and Boothie, as strong as possible mm. knowing that yeah, you'll have some room to move backwards a little bit when yeah. that comes. It's going to come off yeah. through the nat natural 
Um, but a, when it does yeah, come off, attrition. you're still a little bit higher than you, than you would have been ordinarily. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I remember when we were talking about that, you said to me, oh, I don't think anyone's ever said they were too strong. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, no one's <laughs> ever been too strong. <laughs> so leading into the ergo, and, and there was a bit of, you know, I know um, Ian used to send the program around, so we'd see it. There was a little bit of that, the one on, one minute on, one minute off sort of stuff as well in the lead up. So there was a bit of intensity in mm. there in the immediate lead up to selections and then it's the selection ergo. And uh, when you revisit that stuff, if you've already, um, you know, taught your body to recruit those motor units and actually use max power, then, you know, you can, you can tap in again. So I yeah. think you need both, but um, having at least gone there once before well, means that you can tap I, in. I'm interested in that because I, I think that my hypothesis is that if you you got to learn how to do it you know mm. as much as the physiological there's the actual mental and technical aspect of being able to do high intensity short bout stuff and manage yourself through those sessions and then you get more out of them mm. but obviously if you just kept doing that you get diminished returns from that so mm. jumping in and out between those yeah. training modes through a training year and that's the nature of really good periodized training programming i would have for sure yeah yeah and mac you touched on something that was really important that we hadn't discussed earlier around that motor um you know motor unit type and that type two fiber recruitment which and typically as you age as an athlete you are you less and less good at recruiting exactly yeah. or they existing <laughs> yeah. um but i think what a lot of potentially what a lot of people don't necessarily know is that you can teach your type two fibers to become more endurance you know fatigue resistant or you know it more oxidative, aerobic more oxidative yeah. Them up, um, um, oxygen, yeah yeah exactly and when you're doing something as hard as a 2k ergo you'll be recruiting those type 2 fibers if you want to do the power that they're coming along for the ride now you can not train them and therefore not develop any endurance capacity in them or which and the main way to train them is to do quite high intensity stuff is you can train them and teach them to become fatigue resistant and i guess that's sort of what i was alluding to earlier is that a lot of what you did was you were bringing in those higher end motor units that you might not have actually trained before uh you know of course you do mm. um but it's sort of making it a bit more black and white but um yeah essentially you're teaching those those motive units to to be able to last for longer so you know if you avoid that sort of training you kind of they're coming along for the ride and they're going to blow at some point mm. um and so that was sort of part of yeah. what we what we were doing and your total um if you it's a, in a simplistic way if you're increasing what your maximum capacity is then when you come back to doing you know what would have normally been an aerobic session it's actually a lower percentage now of what your new maximum is do you know what i mean because you've bumped up the top yeah yep and yeah yeah, that's that's the theory yeah so coming into the into the erg test you're in the 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 pan shores which is bleak at the best of times and uh by yourself uh did you have a sense going in there that you're on a mission to try and knock this over because i know by that stage it's something you really wanted to do yeah yeah um there was a lot i mean a lot going on personally like that was a decision i've been wrestling with for a a long time yeah um and i talked to a lot of people about and um had ultimately just realized that i had to make the decision um and no one would make that for me but um i definitely went in there still as an athlete um and you're right i did definitely have 
a goal, had a mission, um, and it was sort of the same thing. Like, mm. uh, coach says, go out and row hard, you go and row hard. Yeah. Um, and so for me, that was go and break the record uh, or at least do the best 2K you can do. Um, and I certainly felt uh, really ready to go. Um, like, I think, as I said, having developed that in 2017, I was really able to bring it with me through the high volume stuff um, and be a significantly different athlete, I think, than I had been at that time in other, uh, in other campaigns. Um, and I guess, yeah, when you're sitting there and you're the sole point of focus, <laughs> you just have to sort of, again, step up and entertain people. And deliver. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think we mentioned before on Super Saturday was like, you know, your average stroke rate was 31. And I remember, you, you probably don't remember, but I remember you sent me the screenshot after and, you know, the comment was around your stroke rate. I think it's on here, 500, it's 34, 34, 33, 35, average of 34. It's quite significantly higher than what was your previous comfort zone, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I've always tended to the lower end of the range in terms of stroke rate. Um, I guess my sort of philosophy around stroke rate is that I've, I'm a bigger body, um, um, fairly heavy. It, I mean, I think the lightest I've raced at is sort of 95. Um, coming into Rio, I was probably more towards 100, um, maybe even north of that occasionally. Um, and so my thing is just like rowing is probably one of the only sports where so frequently you have to do, your whole velocity vector has to do a complete 180 mm. switch just up and down yeah mm. up and down mm. like um in very rapid succession and so that is a very aggressive change and so the more times you're doing that the more frequently um obviously there's going to be an efficiency to that in, to that and it's going to wear you out quicker so i was always like well just if do you can do less. a 2k in one stroke <laughs> do a 2k in one stroke um yeah and so that i guess that's where mm. it's just like low rate high power there was, was a listener intent. question that came in this week that was like eric murray suggests that high rate and you know light and fast is better and you're typically uh known for your lower rate um strong power but obviously with this rate of 34 somewhere you found some middle ground is yeah that- yeah definitely um and I think it it does probably have to be middle ground. I mean, so much of what mm. we've sort of been talking about is recruiting both ends of the spectrum. Um, and, and there's going to be probably personal preference in that a fair bit as well, just what you feel comfortable with. Yeah. Um, obviously, I've said I've always felt comfortable lower down the spectrum. Um, but, I mean, previous to that, I'd also done ergos at a higher rate there was a period where Australian rowing was doing testing on sliders. sliders. Yeah. Mm. And that was actually really... I really enjoyed sliders. I took to them really yeah, quickly. Um, and, I mean, I think that was probably giving me a little bit of a look into what I was capable of, what we developed in 2017, where I got the stroke rate up and I could be a bit more of a sprinter. Um, 
and that and that. Like I got, I got quite big gains in my 2K mm. and then obviously going back to stationary, it came back. Um, and so there's always the debate around if you're on sliders, do you get like score for free? Do mm. you get more power for free? Um, and again, as an engineer or like my sort of engineering mindset, it's like, well, there's no more power coming into the system for anywhere. You're developing the same power. Um, it's just that it may be a more efficient mm. movement. Um, well, there might be the um, stretch shortening cycle at the catch might might explain some of it, I think. But I, I one of the things that I think about when I hear you saying that is it just reminds me of the shifting modes like you do a lot of your you know your foundational stuff stationary then you do a block on the dynamic ergo then you do a bit more stationary then you do try and do some high speed stuff and you just keep getting gains by not just settling for the one thing and Mm. and having a diminished kind of return situation i suppose yeah becoming stale yeah how did you feel like after the ergo i mean obviously (laughs) you're not always that much of an emotional guy but it must have been a really pretty amazing yeah yeah it was it was i mean um i may not be that emotional all the time or that outward with what Sorry, i'm thinking you don't express your emotions yeah yeah um but i mean for some of the people in the room with me their response was probably even more unusual in that regard um that i mean ian at the time or all coaches tend to play it fairly stoic with their cards to their chest. Um, they never like to let on what they're thinking. And even he was sort of, I think, up and jumping about and with a big grin on his face, um, <laughs> which was funny to see. But, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the ergo was... Um, and, I mean, uh, the coxswain who was in with me, he always joked the top of his head was about to fall off. He was grinning that wide. Um, so it was really good to be able to have and a lot of the other guys came in and sort of congratulated me when they heard and to have them all come through and see was like again it's a group sort of thing yeah um so that uh, that part i really enjoyed i think in the actual ergo um i again that sort of internal um metering at about with the like at about the 800 meter mark i knew that i could do it i'd with such to go or no, gone like yeah. with 1200 yeah, right. meters to go, to go yeah. Oh, wow. i knew and it's not with like it's not like i think i might be able to do this it was like no i'm, I'm gonna do it like i know that i can i've yeah, it's wow. basically already done um wow. and i guess that's just so much practice um and having that having learned that kind of um modulation of speed and mm. how things work out for me and having done the work and sort of been to the top end um, the year previous, I I had like I can remember it really clearly a moment where I was just like, oh, I got this. Wow, <laughs> that, that usually amazing. happens after the thousand, I would think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so <laughs> to get it so the, early, on my home stretch. Was, no. At the time, I was like, wow, cool. that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, wow. And um, afterwards, did you that feeling of having you know your tongue in your mouth like that? Or was it different? No, it was definitely different. I. Um, I mean, I was a bit shagged, like you are when you do a 2K, but yeah. um, nothing like that, like no tunnel vision. Um, and part of that might be the emotion, um, yep. the elation of it. But um, physically, 
yeah, felt really good. So what I'm hearing is you could have gone faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, pretty, it, I mean, look, it, it, if you're not a rower, it's hard to understand the significance of, of the benchmark and, and you're an incredibly modest, um, though driven person, Josh. Um, but I think, you know, the world of rowing sort of stood still for a moment on that day when, when it got broken because it was, it was a bit of a sacred number etched in stone. Um, and How many know, years in the making? Like well, that was 10 years that, that it stood for. Yeah. <laughs> and and the guy, who, the guy the who, bro- uh, who held it was, you know, an um, Olympic gold medalist in the single scale. You know, yeah. it doesn't get – you know, I'm biased. It doesn't get tougher than that mm. in world sport. Than, than the guy who rows that boat and wins that medal. Um, but, you know, obviously a, a really significant mark. Um, we, we've got a couple of extra points just to quickly cover at the end here in terms of some questions and any other things that, that you might want to throw up at us, JDS. Have you got any, Rodney? Yeah, we had from... Mac, I think did you had the, list, the, the listener's name down there. We had a question around your pacing. Do you want to read it out, Mac? Oh, no, I've actually closed the book because we actually went through three of the questions that we were just talking through. Um, they were good. Qu- the, the listeners are astute and they ask – I read through them. Great um, questions. Yeah, was, yeah had, too many good ones actually. But, but they were basically were the podcast <laughs> most of the questions. Hopefully we address them. Apart from Shane Usher wants to know about your um, uh, your, your, arch your arches and your feet. <laughs> your answer to me, Josh, was... I never had arches. Yeah, so, so no, you don't need to worry you, about it. Yeah, You can't miss what you never had. <laughs> but, I mean, that uh, I, we were talking earlier about um, one of the pictures from when I actually broke the record. Uh, sort of noticed my hands and feet were quite long and elongated and so you get people sort of coming up with some... Um, sort of medical syndromes which can crop up um, and have sort what, of some... What was the medical syndrome? I think it was Marfan syndrome was... Um, I was warned about, which I, I mean, I'm obviously thankful that people are sort of looking out, they see something and they're like concerned for you. That's <laughs> nice to think, but... Um, oh, Lord. Yeah. Because of your feet. I think I'm okay. Yep. Well. So we had a question from Jack Brown on Twitter. He wanted to know what role did Josh's physiology play in pacing the world record? So you touched on it a little bit earlier and that was probably more obviously around your mental approach to that. Um, and so there's surprisingly not that much uh, information, you know, research and that sort of thing around how individual physiology plays a factor in pacing. Now, I think historically people I think of have generally thought the more anaerobic athlete will probably go out a little bit harder, settle a little bit lower, and then come home a little bit harder. Um, but there's not really actually any evidence that says that that's true. So it's mm. probably a lot more anecdotal. Um, I was actually chatting with, well, firstly, one of our PhD students, Alex Bauer, she's got some data on this. So she did, so as part of the protocol that you did, that six-minute time trial where we measured the anaerobic and aerobic contribution, she's got data on, well, however many athletes that went through that, I think was almost 30, how did each of them pace that six-minute time trial? Yeah. Um, I actually caught up with it a day to see if she's managed to analyse that data and she hasn't yet. Um, so she will have some information on, yeah, how does the, the 
physiological profile um, lead to that pacing. But there is some stuff coming out. It's not published yet, but I was chatting with one of our swimming physiologists today as well who said that there's a study that's sort of in the works at the moment looking at similar thing, but in swimming, obviously, over 200 metres. And they compared fibre type as, as sort of determined by scan. So what they found is that in men, but not in women, interestingly, um, there's a higher... Um, those with a higher type 2 fibre type generally go out faster in the first, um, I guess, the first 50. In the third 50, they settle a little bit lower um, and then, you know, it, it all sort of balances out from there. Um, and so the times can be comparable, but they're just achieved in a different way. So mm-hmm. that's kind of showing that generally if you've got a bit more of an anaerobic capacity or component to your, to your race, that there can be a difference in, in pacing. Um, now, that being said, is that cause and effect or is that mm. preference given your known abilities and all those sort of things that, you know, un- unknown? Yeah, um, I would also argue, and that's a really great um, point there with the type, the fibre types because, yes, it's natural. If you recruit your type 2 fibres more easily, you're probably going to use them early in the race and you probably are going to pace it that way. But I think um, uh, with, with rowing and those of us who have sat, you know, with your back to the finish line at the start line when they say attention, go, if you don't get out fast, you can't see your opponents. So we're trained in rowing to want to get out early so at least you can get a look on the field and physiologically that might not work as well, you know, as you want to maybe conserve a little bit and build home strongly. Like maybe if I was doing a cycling time trial, I might actually start out on my average rather than going over mm. early. And, and again, there's, there's actually a study that compares on-water pacing and ergo pacing oh, okay. and they're different really? for exactly probably the reason why you say that ergo scores are usually much more evenly paced compared to on water um, for probably that exact reason. So I guess going back to all of our assumptions about JDS, he's the diesel, he doesn't have the top end, all these sort of things, you'd expect him to go really even paced. And you have historically done everything really even paced as you did in this ergo as well. However, from what we measured, you're probably not as you know, aerobic dominant as we first thought. So, you know, potentially you could have, you know, maybe done something different. But And again, I, I guess that's where it comes down to the psychology and the mental approach to it. Mm. And you didn't have that predisposition you know, disposition of knowing, well, um, you know, like Mac, I guess your whole career you were told the opposite of, of Josh. Mm. You were told <laughs> you're anaerobic, your lactates are too high, you're this, that, you know, all those sorts yeah, of things. Aerobic's terrible. <laughs> yeah, and so, which again, w- was untrue. We had enough measures on you to know that you you were really strong aerobically. Um, but you, you did have a big anaerobic capacity. You know, I didn't look at it as a negative. I sort of said it's a it's a weapon. Um, and so... I think the interesting thing on, on the question though is how did, you, how did you pace the ergo? Well, what I heard is... You went out on a number and at 800 metres you knew you were going to do it so you kind of got it done. That's yeah, how you pace yeah. the ergo, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I as I sort of, I think, talked about maybe in part one um, a little bit is that I I always knew sort of what split would get what, what score um, and so, like, you know where you'll end up at what sort of output you're currently at. Um, and so you sort of put yourself, th- for me, you put yourself there and then you gauge, okay, how sustainable do I think this is? Mm. And so that was where that came mm. from. Like I'm, I'm on the split I need to get this time. Um, yeah. And 
like it's coming back. I'm I'm getting stronger. I'm not going downhill. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And that's always been sort of the argument. It's like just because people do it this way, does it mean that it's necessarily the most efficient? Because theoretically, the way you did it makes the most sense because changes in power mm. are inefficient, mm. yeah. technically I mean, speaking. So, yeah. I would say that I, like, I, I'm aware of that. I, I know that like, to change speed um, costs you a lot versus just holding speed. And so that's probably there's a bit of my preference in there. Um, so you put yourself on the number and then when you felt like, okay, I'm getting over this, I'm get, you know, it's not getting worse. In yeah. fact, I'm probably getting better as I'm going along. Ah, okay. So yeah, that's why you so felt good before the thousand. Yeah. A lot of, um, a lot of probably my historical ergos, um, I would come home really strong. Yeah. Um, mm. But that's because I went out too slow. Oh, okay. Um, mm. And so that's me... Again, thinking this is about where I think I can sit. I sit there, I actually feel better and so I have something to come home with versus like what obviously happened with the 2K is that, okay, this is what we actually think will challenge you. Mm. Um, Go out, sit there. Can you deal with it? And yeah, Yeah. cope with it. Um, Yeah, and I guess how we describe it to younger athletes in sports like rowing or kayaking, things like that is if you're sitting on your watts, you're putting a dollar worth of power, you're getting a dollar worth of speed. Dollar worth of power, dollar worth of speed. You're getting return on your investment. If you want to take it up to a dollar fifty, it's going to cost you two dollars. So, to, to you know, to yeah. take it up, it's it's inefficient. You've just spent an extra fifty cents that you could have saved for for later on, sort of thing. So, doing it in that way, regardless of what your physiology is, and again, that's sort of probably where I've landed. I I, I tend to think that. Yeah, there maybe there's a small variation depending on your physiological um, uh, makeup, but I guess as a case study with you, you know, we learned that you know you're not as aerobic dominant as we first thought, um, and you did it in a perfectly even pace sort of way, and that you know broke the world record. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. It is. Um, we've covered a lot of ground, Josh, and you've been incredibly generous with your time. Thank as is Candy. As, as candy. Um, we thank the the listeners um, for for writing, and we didn't. We probably covered a lot of what the listeners answered. I think I mentioned before. Um, Tobias Stoller had lots of questions. He, I think he uh, landed about six or seven on us, and I reckon Tobias that we've covered most of them. Um, but we probably need to to let Josh get to to bed shortly. Um, it's been really generous, I reckon, Josh, and, and honest. Yeah. Um, you, I think you'll be surprised as to how many people will be really interested to hear the the inside, you know, running on this because I think it's very easy to see an exceptional performance and think that NASA created that versus it, it being actually a very steady, long burn with a whole lot of different influences. You know, mm. you, you've... A couple of things that you've said today consistently around being connected to good people, whether they're athletes or coaches, influences all through your life. And I guess, you know, that that's what it's all about. And to me, I've, I've always felt like as an athlete, you've been driven by connection to people, to a thing. If, mm. if you could be connected to it, then we could see amazing things. And I think you've really articulated that here tonight. Cheers. So, yeah, on behalf of us, thanks, mate. 
And yeah, uh, thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Had a lot of fun. Next time we have you over to the uh, to the um, the Bayside Studios, it'll be for a Barbie and a beer. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, doctors. It's been a big night tonight. Yeah. I hope the listeners have enjoyed. Please um, log on to our Facebook page, The Bro Show Podcast, for more episodes and more activity. And we'll be back in the next couple of weeks with our, our next exploration into sports science, sports med and athlete management.